Hi, and welcome to The Raw Bar. I'm Goddess Cecilia, sexuality and pleasure educator slash consultant. I've invited my friends and colleagues to sit, snack, and get real and probably a little salty about sexuality and pleasure. We've also saved a seat for you. Grab a drink, something to munch on, and your willingness to explore and experience something new and pleasurable. Welcome to The Raw Bar with Goddess Cecilia. So, Michael Gouche, LMFT, is a California-based sex therapist working in Monterey and Santa Cruz County. His work provides intersectional therapy for individuals, couples, and families with a specialized focus to support LGBTQ+, non-monogamy, and kink identities. And we'll get into this a little bit later. It's like five years ago, I didn't see people who specifically were, you know, were working with populations that belong to those communities. So it's like, I'm seeing it a little bit more like here and there, but also maybe I'm like friends with those people. So of course I'm seeing it more, right? It's a little mix um, of, of things, people, um, certification programs and so forth that um, are like allowing people to like hang hang their shingle and say like, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a, a non-monogamy focused therapist or, or uh, affirming. Or, or, or certified in, in the subject matter and so forth. So there's a little bit of that, but um, I mean, it's always mm. sort of been out there, but it was like therapists who you kind of had to know that they were yeah. like kink supporting or, or so forth. That's a good point. I didn't think about the fact that there are actually like courses now to help like therapists be more, you know, like well versed in those, like the terminology, the communities, the concepts. <laughs> but let me back it up a little bit. You and I met at Sex Geek Summer Camp. I believe we rode the bus together that first year. And we were also in the same cabin. Were we in the same cabin both years? Or just the no, second year? I'm sure. It's been so long. I know. And I, will, I have only gone twice and you've gone a couple more times like than me. Four times, yeah. I think if I remember correctly, you and I were in the same cabin together at least one of the years. And so I remember being like, he's my camp buddy right now <laughs> like I don't know if I ever said this to you but I was like Mike is like my camp buddy and I just felt like really connected with you I felt like you were just like a cool person to get to know and yeah like it just felt like really easy to be like friends with you <laughs> I don't know if that makes any you know and in the next year the second year that I went we rode the bus again I'm still a little traumatized from it, but it was, I mean, it was like a whole situation in which all of our, I feel like it was like you, me, and Dr. Liz, like the three of us were like, all right, we got this. And like, we're going to make sure that everyone on this, there was a whole like too long, didn't read synopsis. The bus broke down several times. It was in the middle of West Virginia, which is like a little scary for those of us who are melanated. And yeah, like it was, it was quite uh, an intense trip. It got dark. <laughs> there were people that we were like, remember those, like, there was like a, a truck of, of like dudes who like stopped and help us, helped us. Yeah, and we were like, sense. is this the moment we're all going to die? Or are they actually good Samaritans? And they were actually good Samaritans. But I feel like there's something about <laughs> like a traumatic experience 
that really forges relationships sometimes. Yeah. You know? Bonding as it is called. There it is. There's a name for it. I don't know if I ever knew that, but that makes sense. They have like those um like obstacle courses for like companies where you climb ropes courses and do stuff and you're all like uh having fight or flight. And so it bonds people uh, to be a better cohesive team. Oh my God. I never thought about that. I never thought about that, Mike. Is that why you like escape rooms? Escape rooms are the best. Escape rooms are the best. I like people that like them, but also they do bond people. I mean, so, so, so corporate culture is starting to pick up escape rooms too. So that's a whole thing. Right? Oh my God. What is what is like one of your favorite escape rooms? This is a little bit of a sidebar, but like what's one of your favorite escape room experiences? I need to know because I, I also love them and I've made I've only done like three ever. Uh it was a um escape room with like sort of a mad scientist theme. Uh and then, then when you find out the mad scientist is trying to work with time travel. And then <gasps> as we found out a uh as like a code word, we shouted the code word. And it made the room time travel, but which is the closet to the side. And we walked into another room through a time tunnel. And it was the same room, but it was just it was just like three days in the past. So it was like, but it was just it was like a just like a three days in the past. Same version of the same build room. Wow. Holy moly. That's cool. That's cool. It takes a level of like creativity and I mean, world building, right? Like world building, like storytelling that people have to really buy into my first i will tell you anyone who decides that they're going to do an escape room with me my first inclination is to turn everything over and like literally like if there's something that needs to be turned over turn it over right turn it over turn off the lights anything that's not bolted down and that they tell you Uh you can't undo like undo everything (laughs) break down that ikea furniture just just flip it upside down they don't say no to breaking the furniture go for it yes i'm into that okay so now i know a little bit about your family history right and how you're sort of the the like outlier (laughs) of your family could you tell us a little bit about that and like what made you decide to go this different route both an outlier and so so my grandma was a therapist so that's kind of like where that like seed was planted and then i had some like learning challenges as a, as a young and so i also went to some therapy some some like uh, educational support therapy so i had some really good therapists and that so mm. like i was like eight nine years old saying i want to be a psychologist i want to be a therapist so that was kind of that 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 uh pace of things and um but also my family my family is, a, is like a family of dentists too and a, a sort of mm-hmm. medical field. So I went, I just went the mental health route, which was like by my mom's family versus my, my dad's family oh. kind, of, kind of thing, which my dad was also kind of a black sheep too. And he went, um, and he went more, um, he went away from the dentistry and the, and the expectations mm-hmm. of dentists, which my two uncles mm. went, went, went that route. But I, I guess it was just an, an exploration of, of my, like my own, like what I want to do in the world. Or I want to like give back to the world kind of thing. There weren't like relatives who would slowly like give you dentistry kits for Christmas as a child. Oh, yeah, the little uh, like play dentist. Uh, That'd be so bad. Like uh, (laughs) selling Fisher Price sells sells a dentist kit. Like let's go having kids in other kids' mouths. That would be really bad. I mean, they have like play doctor kits. So like stethoscope, right? So why not the dentistry ones? I mean, 
That's a good point, though. Kids in other kids' mouths. That would be so bad. That would be so bad. But hilarious. I think it would be hilarious. (laughs) So we talked a little bit about, you know, like the different communities that you support and that, you know, part of what you wanted to do going into mental health was was to like support people and like kind of give back. So what does it mean specifically to be a therapist that supports those particular communities? So me as a sex therapist, I got exposure to and training in in various communities. And so I do focus on, so as a sex therapist, I, I, I focus on sex, sexual disorder, sexual function, sexual communication, couples therapy, all those kind of chunks. And then also I give like general therapy to communities who aren't getting that in their, in their therapy or their mm-hmm. therapist's aren't understanding that. So if someone's non-monogamous, if they're kinky, or, or if they're LGBTQ, um, I also get that too, in, in that they come into my practice going like, oh, my therapist is just not getting this. I was constantly having to explain mm. like my attraction to other people or that I had a second partner and was still valuing them with the same kind of uh, value as like two people in a couple, in a monogamous couple. Like I, I value these people the same as, as family and as, as a connection. So People go into th- to therapists, and that therapist goes like, "Oh yeah, just you know, like if it's if it's a trouble, if it's a problem with your extra partner, you know, just just leave them, just toss them out, like you know, you know, get back to get get back and focus on 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 the couple." And so that is like a really invalidating to to their lived experiences. So if oh, wow. I'm able to like, be a not like honestly, that's 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 a therapist bringing their own bias into the room, their own judgments mm-hmm. into the room, and so I can just go, "Can we make this work? How can we communicate this better?" So it's just being like the true definition of a therapist. So when someone comes in poly, kinky, uh, non-monogamous, LGBTQ, and I don't ass- assume or assign any value to it and support it and, and be there for it. Mm, that's such an important point, but like the value piece. Do you think that, and I kind of mentioned that I'm seeing more and more folks who are able to support those communities, but do you think that there's enough? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if there's enough people who are like trained in it or do you think that there's still a little bit of like hesitancy from the wider mental health community to to get the training to be able to support those communities i mean it is it's growing so in the general training uh, in california at least there's like eight uh, eight hour courses or um, a whole quarter of a, a whole like three units on sex and sexuality and in that course, that those there will be explanations of um, of marginal communities, identities around kink, poly, LGBTQ elements, uh, non-monogamous elements, and so there is like a base level training, which is similar to like a training on factors of aging, which which people mm. need to be very aware of as therapists. And so it is within the training, but then now people are then going to a specialization. Like, hey, no, I'm not. I'm not just like mildly aware. I'm also like. Here, understanding the facts, understanding the like the research, which is still very infancy and uh, infant in its mm. research, to be able to support those communities. So it is, in essence, what you're saying. It is growing towards that. There's always needing more, but I do enjoy that everyone who's going through the training right now, at least in California, that I can see, is going to at least have a base level base level element where they're not biased against their clients, like not be shaming of their clients. So they're going to have a, a basic understanding. But also, the therapy training is like if someone comes in and all you can feel like is like you just don't get it, you're supposed to refer out. So like that. That's also a really strong part of the training. Oh, that's a good point. That's definitely a good point. But knowing that you work in like the Santa Cruz area and Monterey area, in my mind, I associate Santa Cruz specifically with being very like out there (laughs) and 
very like tooting their own horn, like living their own lives, very, very like free, individualistic. And I know that it's very much my point of view, having gone to UC Santa Cruz undergrad, which is like such a specific bubble. It's about time you listen to Virgin Territory, a podcast brought to you by SHIP. Each episode brings you new guests and new topics, and we ask all the questions you are dying to know. From dating, sexual education and wellness, to kink, polyamory, and everything in between. Subscribe to our episodes by visiting virginterritorypod.org or listen on your favorite streaming media. It was funny. I remember learning how the rest of Santa Cruz County does not reflect that at all. So it was always a little like, oh, you know, like I was initially surprised that, that of course, like everyone in Santa Cruz and Monterey County, like, of course, they're all like well-versed in this, in these sort of topics and like marginalized communities and like um, non-traditional communities, because that's, that was the environment that I like remember from Santa Cruz. And it's like, definitely not the case, right? Like, like, like any place there's, there's people of all of all walks of life, all socioeconomic statuses. Santa Cruz being this place that it was kind of hippie and forward-thinking oppression. So there is, like, in the in the city center, in the schools, and so forth, there is going to be, like, that as an underlying thing. My wife went to, as a Santa Cruz resident, was a Santa Cruz mm-hmm. resident, and at, when she went to school, like, a lot of, like, got a lot of exposure to, like, protesting and, and organizing and so forth. But if, if you look at the whole population, it's just a mix of people, like any, any other place in America, really. It's, it's well known for, like, the hippies are in the town, and there are kind of just, like, in the hills. The hills have eyes kind of, like, sort of stereotypes <laughs> of commonly, like, meth houses being, like, broken into because oh, people cook, 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 cooking in the hills and weed grows and stuff like that before it was legal and stuff like that. So it's, you know, it's just a mix of people. It is quite a mix of people. I wonder if it's because it's such a small community almost that you, it feels bigger, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like when you're, when you're in such like a small grouping, everything feels like such a big deal. But then when you like expand your view, it's actually like, oh, well, it's like not as big as you initially thought it was, I think. And I have to say, like, as someone who went into, well, I went to school for an undergrad for psychology because I just think people's brains are fascinating. But I knew that I did not want to be a therapist because, well, I always joked that, like, I would make a lot of people cry, probably. Well, and you do. <laughs> and, and, like, actually, that's one, of the, one of the ways. Yeah, like, that's actually a good therapist. <laughs> But I meant like I would probably say really mean things. And obviously you get the training. <laughs> I would just be like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> That's not how it works. That's not how it works. Instead of uh instead of being a little more like <laughs> inquisitive. I mean, I say that, but obviously, like, who knows? And I, I didn't go through the training to be a clinician. <laughs> but 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 there is a lot of like uh crossover between the social work world and the and all the other like versions of therapy oh i actually would love to hear the in california too it's like so different between all the states right like lmft is different from someone who is what would a social worker be in uh, california is it lcsw lcsw is there like a stark difference 
I mean, uh, specifically in the training. Um, so there's three there's three master's levels things in California and in a lot of states mm. is uh, LMFG, licensed marriage family therapist, licensed clinical social worker, and licensed practicing clinical counselor, LPCC, which is a little bit newer, mm. like in the last 10 years or so, but it's been out there. So a marriage and family therapist is mostly relational, is mostly the interconnecting of people. Social worker is is a person and, and services. And then mm-hmm. an LPCC is more in a hospital setting, more um, more oh. clinical setting. They'll, they'll be in a hospital, they'll be at a clinic, they'll be at a jail, they'll, they'll often be doing that, which is also, so it's a little bit of social work. It's a little bit of relational kind of, kind of thing, but it's more a clinical setting. Oh, wow. I don't think I've, I've ever heard of that. That's so interesting. Well, that's cool. And that makes a lot of sense. I feel like you like described it very succinctly. <laughs> and in my brain, I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea, you know, but I mean, it's been a hard year, right? <laughs> it's been a hard year and a half. And like, even in the beginning ish of the quarantine part of the pandemic, there was a moment where I was like, I really hope that, I really hope that there's more value placed on mental health. And that specifically that mental health practitioners are like, not necessarily raised up on a pedestal, but you know, like y'all do some really important work. And I hope that the work is more valued just in society in general. It really has. How- that's, that's a good instinct. Like the, I've gotten called yeah. so much. Um, I'm usually packed. I now have more of a wait list. All the people I network with are pretty packed. So it seems like society in general is like, well, I better use my my benefits or my my insurance or I need to go to therapy and like and take some value back into my life. Seems to have been at least and what I can anecdotally see around me is is happening. Well, that's good. How how else has your work has your work has your work changed during this panorama? For the most part, just gone online. Like I've been online mm. uh, instead of being at my two my two offices that I rent. It's it's gone. Like this is the setting. This is the angle that a lot of my clients have been getting for um, at least recently, but for the most part. And then not much else. It is people more uh, not 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 as many people in crisis reaching out to me at least. Not as many mm. people like like we're we're you know the last straw. More people going like, hey, we should we should think about working on this uh, a little bit earlier, as at least in, in what I've been witnessing. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, because I feel like most of the time, well, not most of the time, it, it's it makes sense that people are like, have used to consider mental health as like a last ditch effort. <laughs> and now it's like, oh, actually, maybe it's not last ditch. Maybe it's like actually just part of my health care. Was it hard for people? Did it seem kind of like difficult for your clients to transition to the online space, virtual space? Yeah, uh, I use Doxy. There's a there's, there's quite a few other HIPAA compliant ones because Zoom is not is not appropriate unless you can get Zoom to sign this one special document that allows for, for mm. compliance. But no, like people are my, my, so many of my clients are so excited. It's like they're they're in their PJs. They just got the kids to school. They could just be around the house. They can go get a go get a snack if they have to. I've had I have maybe maybe ten percent are are saying like I'd prefer if we go back or be, mm. be in person. But for the most part, like the people I'm seeing are really happy of how it fits into their life. A lot of people calling in from their mm. their lunch breaks or or, or their one hour breaks at, at work. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to even go to therapy. Working like oh wow you know, forty hour plus people. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I feel like that's such a, a huge barrier. The the work week. Mm-hmm. But, I want to hold that's my work such week good... sacred too. So it's kind of this right. Way. Oh my gosh. Have you had to go back in at all? Like 
have you started seeing people in? I don't know what the rules are in California. I, I, I haven't. Um, it is allowed for the most mm. part, but I still have like in my in my family circle, my child is unvaccinated and, and, and el- an elderly mm-hmm. family who are more even more prone. Yeah. So that's the thing. Gonna, we're going to sit in a little room with like no ventilation, breathing at, at each other's direction for 50 minutes, even with a mask. Like that's that's still the, the an equation for catching it with even with a mask. It's just just no, just just in a tiny room, so it, it doesn't seem appropriate at this time uh, with breaking yeah. Distances. So still, yeah, still considering when to go in. Yeah, definitely. I would love to talk a little bit about like how grief has played a role in in this past year with the pandemic, but also like in general. Have you seen more people kind of wrestle with that topic? Oh, I think people are in my angle here have been more available for it because, but also it's the angle I, I, I approach grief from. Though grief, grief is at, at, um, at a base level is a um, is the change of an expectation of what you expected to happen, the story you had in your head of like time you're going to have together, the job you're going to have, whatever it is. Grief is the uh, is the emotional reaction to when things aren't going to go as planned or as hoped or as as imagined. Mm-hmm. There's a lovely quote that I always, that, that seems to always sticks with with my clients is grief is the love that we have for someone that we're no longer able to give them because they are no longer in our lives. So so with that like psychoeducation that that like that those those like sort of um, scaffolds I put up around it, people are very like willing to like oh you're right I am experiencing something I you know I'm still like holding on to the story that I of, of what I, what it was going to be or the hopes it was going to be. So I mean grief grief has always been like a strong component of all therapy because it's the it's the mm-hmm. difficulty of transition for most people god that's such a good way to phrase that i love that quote can you repeat that again just so i can put that in my memory uh it will slow down so grief is the love we have that we're not able to to look to no longer give and is mm. that it's i think i think that's why i said specifically as, as it always comes it will yeah. always come out a little different um but yeah grief is the love that we have that we're no longer able to to give to people wow that's a big deal it's a big deal so as you know and and i i talked a little bit about this in, did I talk about this on this on this profile? I have so many Instagram profiles to keep track of. I talked a little bit about it on my old on my personal profile, which is linked in my bio, and also I talked a little bit about it here because I think it's an important part of. I think that grief is a really important part of like feelings. <laughs> it's an important feeling to recognize. But today it happens to be the what would have been the 40th birthday of my friend who passed earlier this year, not from COVID, from ovarian cancer, which is like a whole other thing. And so that is like such a perfect quote. And I'm going to share that with my group of friends tomorrow when we have our like friends Zoom. But yeah, do you think that for the most part, people were were kind of like dealing with the loss of their like their expectations for 2020, which was like everybody had expectations for 2020. Do you think that they were dealing with that particular grief then? And how has it changed in 2021, if at all? I mean, there's the, so humans thankfully have the survival mechanism of to adjust to whatever stimuli is in, is in their space. And it's when we get stuck, when we get stuck, that's where it's really difficult when people are, um, you know, that, that's the, that, that is like at the baseline, what is, Depression and anxiety. Depression mm. is getting stuck in the past around what we can't change. 
and anxiety is being fearful for the future of the things we're on or we're we're, on, we're uncertain about and, and having difficulty accepting. So mm. in that, with, with saying those things, a lot of people like have have gotten stuck and gotten into these places of of trying to deal, of trying to make the best of it, of trying to find new um, new motivations, new directions, mm. reevaluate life, transition point for a lot of people. And not to mention kind of just the momentum that was you know, daily living before the pandemic. So like, like would we people realizing who's friends, who's actual connections, who's an acquaintance, who like what, what social connections really mean, who's there for us, all those pieces. Mm. People, people learning to ask for help is maybe a, a really big place for a lot of people to actually realize that you know, not being in proximity means you got to reach out. Uh, not, not being mm. in proximity means you have to um, you know share what's going on in your head as opposed to like, people just getting to like witness like if you're having a good day or a bad day. Mike, I feel like I haven't, <laughs> have I learned how to ask for help in the past year and a half? I don't know. That's a whole different problem. That's a whole, it's such a constant thing. Oh my God, there was something that you said that I was like, oh man, remember it. Oh, yeah, I'm going to move on because I can't remember it. But I think that that's such a, uh, oh, oh, the not having people around. And so then you do have to like actually say things out loud to people. I feel like there's also the opposite that could potentially happen, right? Like people end up potentially going further inward, right? And and does, do you think that that poses any like particular risks or is it just like, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know where to go from there. So people are more inward facing, more people are more outward facing, introvert versus extrovert. I guess it is like with any extreme, if, you, if you're going mm. inward, then you don't have much of a sounding board. You don't have much to reflect upon. You don't have mm. um, other people's, you know, you know, maybe it's good advice, bad advice, but you're not able to receive much of other people's uh, experiences or opinions. So um, I, guess, I guess maybe the direction I'm, I'm, I'm kind of feeling is, is the idea of the, the extreme. Like you're going so in, in, inward that you're getting stuck, that you're, that you're not, not being aware, that you're not socializing. As social, as, as social animals, are we, you know, being a little too, you know, rugged individual and not actually, like, mm. like participating and socializing, spending time? Oh, I remember the thing that I wanted to point out that you had said, that, like, people adapt, right? That people are, are able to adapt to change. And that's, I feel like that is definitely a thing that, like, makes us human <laughs> in a way. But there were so many people who like did not adapt well to this. I mean, like, I'm, I'm going to get a little political here, but like there were so many people who are unwilling to change, yeah. right? Like they were unwilling to wear masks. They were like, there are people who are still unwilling to get vaccinated, even though they have all of this information at their fingertips. And I'm not specifically talking about the people who may like actually legitimately have a prior history or like a community history of, of the medical field, like treating them in a really poor way but the people who have the like the info like what the hell like as a relational therapist like what the fuck is going on there oh it's it's oh it's so hard there's so many layers to it like the defunding of the education system over time Mm -hmm. the politicization of science the uh the uh centering of personal opinion is as strong Mm -hmm. as fact kind of thing that that sort of happens when you politicize kind of science right little chunks that lead to you know people having this sense or desire to be right or to hold to their guns so much so that they double down hi it's goddess cecilia 
I wanted to interject really quick to let you know something. Did you know that I provide your favorite sexuality workshops in a private setting to you and your friends? Whether you want to learn all about adult toys or how to have a fun and pleasurable oral experience for the giver and receiver, you can book a session with me based on your group's availability. Not often do you get to have a personalized experience at one of these types of workshops, and I'm super excited to offer it to you. If you decide to join my Patreon page, you also get access to monthly 30-minute private consultations. Everyone should have a sexuality and pleasure educator and consultant in their contacts, and I would be honored to be yours. Okay, back to the bar. There's like similar research in the, in the space of cults, uh, cult thinking, and political thinking and the anti-vax thinking like once you've like you know checked that box of like you know what i don't think the the vaccines are right and then someone tries to oppose you someone tries to go like well you know like i think you're wrong here people end up doubling down on their beliefs and then they just continue to escalate and escalate and escalate to this place of like it becomes like personal identity is is that way to kind of look Mm. at it and there's also just the um like you can't tell me what to do um american individualism which also kind of mixes into all of these kind of things so it's, right. it's, it's, it's hundreds of factors leading to a place where it's like people are, it's like, we can't find a compromise at, at some point. But I didn't know that there's, um, oh my God, like I didn't even think about the connection to sort of cult thinking. That's scary a little bit. It's worrisome more than scary because I, I think that it, it feels almost like anyone can be susceptible to it oh, in a way. Yeah. Yeah. My goodness. Well, let's get away from that topic because <laughs> I can't think about those people that much because they make me very angry. But a fellow parent, and as like the parent who, speaking personally as like the newer parent, I have been very thankful to have you as like another parent friend because it's like, it gives me so much more perspective. Because I mean, like parenting during the pandemic was a whole thing in and of itself. Um, parenting a small like infant toddler during this pandemic is like a whole thing in and of itself and it just helps to like have perspective (laughs) from someone who's been there and also as a parent who is sex positive who has a lot of like sex related paraphernalia around my house but who has a toddler who like doesn't pay attention to those things slash can't reach them right he doesn't understand he just thinks that their body parts whatever but you have a young child but definitely older than mine. How do you navigate like being sex positive and being a sex therapist around your child? Like, are you getting invited to um, career days? That is like a classic thing that I have uh, that I haven't experienced in like in my, my schools is the idea of like a career day or the parents coming in and talking about career stuff. But it's been, I don't, I don't know, it's, it's been like very much positive parenting. Letting, I've always had to let the teachers know of stuff. Like, hey, this is what I do. If she brings up these subjects, you know, like, like understand that like she's talking about me being a sex therapist or like she was in kindergarten once and uh, I was shooting some like, YouTube videos for my for my webpage. So, hey, meet, meet Mike, sex therapist. And she went to kindergarten and I, and I told some of the other students about, and then she said the word sex and then like it all like shut the conversation down and like they had to like pull her aside and like, what are you talking about? And stuff like that. And it was eventually it was explained and 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 understood. That was, that was like a real big moment for her to to like understand like what's appropriate and what's not appropriate, kind of in those kids' spaces of like what you're talking about. And then we had to like de-shame it a little bit and go like, yeah, you know, just, you know, these are maybe the conversations we have at home or 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 
or you take those conversations to us first. So it's trying to of like being aware of what's allowed at home and what's allowed outside and like how to square those things and still be authentic which is like a thing i'm i don't know i'm still learning as an adult it's it's a it's a constant process of like you know the social cues and like am i making somebody uncomfortable by talking about this or am i uh, am i asking too personal a question kind of thing that's such a good point i like the i like the sort of um it's a code switching context it is a code switch. That's such a good way to put that. But there's also this, like, you've told the teachers, like, from the get-go, which is a nice way to sort of potentially prevent anything. Has there ever been a moment where, like, the teacher was not happy to know yeah. this? Or, like, oh, okay. They, they That's good. Be pretty, like, oh, okay. Just, like, just very supportive. Be like, I, I, I get it. I don't get it kind of thing. I mean, they, they teachers teachers get to see so much. They get to see, like so much in a way like i i assume i was more of a novelty but for the most part i i like they they have to deal with both they deal with kids and then the expectations of adults and then and then those personalities of those adults so they're 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 just such a delicate balancing act of like customer service slash education oh my god that's such a good point has there been any other parents who are like we don't talk to we don't talk to that child because her dad deals with sex I don't know if it's ever reached her, but I think we've been have been invited to less and less parties as the years go on. And then as new as old parents like leave the leave the school and new parents come in, we get we get invited to those new parties. And then like and then there's a some we get some reinvites, but yeah, like going to those parties and small talking about oh this is what I do and this is what I do. And then they get like really they get like the wild eyes. It's just you know I, I see insurance clients and whatnot, no big deal. But I I think they're uh, I've gotten I I do feel that we've been invited to less parties as the years have gone, oh, no. which is not a big deal. It doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like my kid is is too hurt by that. She's got a robust friend group right. outside of school. But this year in sixth grade, she's starting to really uh, connect with some kids. So it's, I think she's figuring it out there. I mean, she entered it at, she entered her school at third grade and that's hard to enter clicks and stuff. So it's been, oh uh, yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been her, her journey. Oh my goodness. I think it's one of those things where I'm sure it'll be fine, <laughs> but I'm a little bit, I am a little bit worried about like my child being like ostracized or I'm not really worried about me. Like whatever. Like I don't need the parents to like me, but so one thing I want to highlight is that Gen Zers or younger, what I don't know what they're calling the, the new alpha generation, whatever, you know, we're starting the alphabet over again, higher levels of LGBTQ acceptance or understanding of like uh, sexuality orientation and stuff like that. Hazel, excuse, uh, my kid, uh, got, got, um, was talking about her, her like, like her, like being attracted to a girl on campus. Uh, and then one of the boys overheard and started like shouting, Oh my God, this is normal. And so, but it didn't like do anything. It didn't, she didn't get teased about it. It didn't like, so it's, it's, it was more of a it, it, it was more teasing to knowing something than te- than, than than bullying. So it, it's it's right. so far as, as we've heard the stories sort of rolling from the other kids and like it's been rolling and and it's been happening for like you know since that that incident. It's nothing has changed. Nothing is really bullying. They're just they just now know this about Hazel and now and now it's just a thing. And like all the kids around her are watching like TikToks and Vine compilations on YouTube and whatnot. So they have. They have like an education source for a lot of these things already. Like the kids are going to be all right because the other kids are, are kind oh, yeah. of okay. Yeah. Oh my God. That's amazing. I, I know we have like a little bit of an age difference, but I, I feel like we're definitely the same basic generation, but like, who that was so different when we were younger. Oh my gosh. Like, I feel like if that happened when I was in school, it would just be like, oh, you know. 
this is now a person that we're going to talk about in a really negative way or uh, or make fun of, you know what I mean? In, in a like, make fun of their identity versus making like teasing because it's like funny to tease someone for liking someone, you know, like that's, mm-hmm. oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I have to say like, it's kind of, it is interesting to watch other parents and how they like treat those topics and also like how to how they treat like gender expression and stuff like when when soul was like much younger much much younger like an infant you know a lot of times most people can't tell right like it's not like super obvious unless they are strapped in like very gendered clothing Uh you know so but like we were very obviously we were like i don't i don't want any of that pink or blue shit like i didn't need any of that there were a lot of times where where i would just be like oh you know like i would casually be talking or they would like use different pronouns because they would assume that's all you know was was she and i was like you know like we're just using he for now only because like trying to explain that to my parents i think would get way too complicated and i was just like i when he's able to understand it like we're open to to hearing how he how he identifies and that'll be fine but i remember people being like oh my god like oh my god like i'm so sorry and i'm like it's fine it's fine like it's not it's not a big deal like you know, it's a baby it's fine i still see there like the there's still a subset of adults that i'm like you're the ones that are like teaching the children <laughs> the things you know and like i just i mean i think the kids do have much more access to better info these days so that's definitely a, a blessing ish potentially hopefully and who even knows what it'll look like when soul has his own phone yeah <laughs> a thousand yard stare there it's like whoa information management with the kids. what does that even look like at that point so i want to ask you well one ish more question because i have another question that i usually ask at the end what do you think is like a hard truth about mental health about the work that you do that most people are not ready to hear or like there's a little bit of like resistance to hearing it. It's a big thing that no one can fix your problems for you. Like no one can go in your head and help you rejigger, put things in place, bring the tools, habits. You can pay people to support you, to hold your hand, but you got to do the work. Like it is the hard part is you got to do the work. Whatever that means, though. And the work doesn't have to be also, the work doesn't have to be hard. It can also be incremental. It can be steps. It can be slow. It can be a year. Because there's also that idea of like, it needs to be fixed right now. I need to, I need to jump in. Right, right. And like, we need to fix it right now. Where most of my cases that are really challenging and deep often are maybe year, two year processes of like re, uh, refocusing, practicing, going over the, you know, strengthening the story and understanding the story better. So there's the yeah. two parts of like, you, you have, it's going to take work and it's going to take time are, are the big things about mental health that I, I, I sort of hope people understand because from the medical model, people often like, you know, when they, when you break a bone, you go in, you get it fixed and it heals. And then it's step, step, step. But with every person, every person is their own environment, their own biome, their own everything. So we have to, like everyone, so everyone has to find their way back towards the center, if, if you will, or mm. find their way back towards healing as, as, a, as, a, as a way to put it. And that's going to be different than every, for everybody. I mean, I have a little bit of operationalized therapy in which like I have steps and certain assessments and so forth, but that only gets, it gets the people running. People still have to apply the stuff. They have to figure it out. We have to 
try try a tool on and then maybe reshape it and reform it to fit their lives. So it's, it's kind it's, of it's like individual. You, yeah, you kind of remind me a little bit. The way you describe it makes me think of like physical therapy. People that with that specifically too, like people assume that like okay, I go to physical therapy and then I get fixed, and it's like not really. Like you still have to do the work, right? Like <laughs> to, to progress to whatever you know standard one wants to hold for themselves yeah and then that oh that's such a such a good metaphor because with physical therapy even if you do all the homework you're just due to age or injury or whatever you are in your life maybe things are going to be different maybe they'll never be the same and how and how do you accept that how do you go through the process Mm -hmm. of grief and accept the change and the transition that is life yeah so good nice way to bring that around mike very good so final final question how would people be able to find you on the interwebs? Um, I'm at MikeMFT.com for the most part. I'm a therapist, so my socials are, are rather private and curated for the most part. But I can only see people in California. My license only extends to California, and I usually try to keep it kind of tight to my area also. Mm. But what is more, uh, you know, uh, reaching outward is that I'm part of the, uh, I'm like getting licensed. No, it's getting certified through ASECT, which is, A-A-S-E-C-T, the American Association of Sexuality Education Counsel- Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. And asect.org allows, is a, is a place where you can find local sex therapists who might have, so like with any kind of therapist, you don't, there's no guarantees, but might have a better understanding of the concepts I'm talking about, might have a better understanding of, of, a, of diverse communities because it's kind of built into the training. So that might be something that you find somebody local or somebody nearer to you from that, from that, uh, from that company. I love that. I love that. Oh my God, Mike, I have one more question. Mm-hmm. What currently are you finding pleasure in? I'm not currently finding pleasure in video games. Uh, again, it's been a little while since with the pandemic and, and refocusing and, and doing house projects and, and, and like building my life up, getting back to like taking time to enjoy art, like watching movies, playing video games and just engaging with media in a way that I give myself time and permission to not be productive and mm. and, and and take in experiences. I love it. Well, Mike, thank you so much for hanging with me on the Raw Bar. For those of you who caught us live, thank you so much for tuning in. For those of you who are watching this later, thank you so much for tuning in again. And thank you to Mike. Thank you so much for like hanging with me, for like talking about really important stuff and for doing the work that you do. Well, friends, it's time to go our separate ways. I hope your body and brain are fully satiated and stimulated from today's episode. Make sure you rate and review today's episode and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Lastly, head on over to goddesscecilia.com. That's G-O-D-D-E-S-S-C-E-C-I-L-I-A.com to find out how you can connect with my guests and me and how you can be a part of the Raw Bar regulars. See you next time.